this, 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 this show is brought to you by Safety FM. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the host and its guest and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the company. Examples of analysis discussed within this podcast are only examples. They should not be utilized in the real world as the only solution available as they are based only on very limited and dated open source information. Assumptions made within this analysis are not reflective of the position of the company. No part of this podcast may be reproduced, stored in a retrieval system, or transmitted in any form or by any means, mechanical, electronic, recording, or otherwise, without prior written permission of the creator of the podcast, Jay Allen. Thanks for joining us today for TED Speaks with your host, Ted Carew, the Positive Safety Coach. As co-host and Ted's wife, I have the added task of keeping Ted in line and laughing at his jokes, which isn't always easy. My name is Barb Carew. We are coming to you from Milwaukee, Wisconsin, home of the Brewers, Miller Beer, and the Fonz. How could it get any better than that? Our podcast focuses on sharing ideas with business owners and safety professionals to keep employees safe and families together. Our passion for keeping people safe is the reason Total Health and Safety Solutions was created. This is how Ted is able to share his 25 years of safety experience by supporting companies around the globe in their efforts to strengthen their health and safety process. Please join us in welcoming Joe Conrad. Joe brings years of utility, construction, and safety experience to his role at Blattner. As the Director of Safety, he is part of a team that develops and executes strategies and operations directly related to organizational-wide environmental health and safety. Working with internal and external stakeholders, Joe leads a team of safety professionals that drive a culture that prioritizes safety above all else and supports operational excellence at the highest level. Hey, Joe, I'm excited to have you on our show. You know, obviously we've worked together for many years, but also Packer fans together. So that that also is very important. Bonding time, even though you live in Minnesota. That's, oh. that, that's what I really like about you, Joe. <laughs> One of the very few things. So, hey, again, thank you for uh, being on the show today. Yeah, yeah, my pleasure. I'm glad to catch back up. It has been a long time, and I'm happy to say that I'm maybe one of those Minnesota fans that has class. Cause I am <laughs> oh, there that. you go. So if you want to do a deep dive in a training camp, if we get done with the safety stuff, you just let me know. <laughs> yes, because there have been some uh, changes, but I'm sure a lot of teams have had that too. You know, some some number 17 is no longer with us. Anyway, that's another that's another story, right, for another episode. Well, I so, like yeah, yeah. I like the banter back and forth here. I can tell you guys go back a little ways. But for the listeners who don't, can you give us a little brief background about yourself, Joe? Yeah, I've had a pretty diverse background in the construction utility space. So starting way back in 1997, I got hired by Northern States Power at the time, which became XL Energy as we know it today. Um, XL Energy is an investor-owned utility company operating in nine states across the United States, and I was hired in 1997 as a laborer up in Fargo, North Dakota, of all places. So I went to school up in Fargo, and I was doing underground construction at the time, and during lunch, an NSP crew came over because we had to have a four-inch 
dead abandoned gas main cut out of the way. And I was helping them shovel and they said, boy, you're a really good shoveler. You should come work for NSP. And I said, I would love to, but you're never hiring. And they said, we are hiring right now. So on my lunch break that day, I drove up to the service center. So in the old days when you could actually go into service centers and talk to people, I went and filled out an application. And about three weeks later, I started my career at uh, NSP and in the field primarily. So in gas construction, um, I did that for the first nine years of my career and always active in uh, our safety committees. I was a chairman of the safety committee. I was starting to lead some big safety initiatives. And someone asked me if I'd be interested in doing it as a full-time gig. And I was like, yeah, those safety guys don't do anything. Right? <laughs> those guys just walk <laughs> around like, with coffee and then they, you know. Yeah, it's like the best <laughs> job ever. Of course I want to do that. So I was a safety consultant then for about three years and got tapped on the shoulder. And someone asked me again if I was interested in taking a leadership role in safety. And I said again, yeah, I mean, what could happen, right? And <laughs> so I was hired to be the, the manager of safety and training. And this is where Tad and I kind of kicked off our friendship. I was hired in for the generation portfolio. So at that time, XL Energy had 62 power plants across the United States. And I was the manager of safety and training for that. And then I really kind of spent about my last 13 years at XL jumping back and forth in different safety leadership positions. I kind of touched just about every discipline. And when I was done and left just this year, I was managing their transmission business unit, contractor safety and safety strategy. And then after almost 25 years at XL Energy, I made the uh, the jump to to Blattner Energy, where I'm at right now as the director of safety. So I've been in the seat there for for now nine weeks. Wow! I'm sure just knowing you, Joel, that you are making making a big difference within that organization. Uh, just knowing you and, and the way that I've worked with you, so they're very lucky to have you. I appreciate that. Hearing your journey, you know, start to where you are now, it's almost like it's kind of meant to be the way things happen, but it probably says a lot about you that you were approached so many times. Hey, do you want to do this? Hey, are you interested in that? Like that doesn't always happen. So it sounds like through your journey, you do have a vast bit of knowledge built up too that is, is a big plus. I think working your way up, you understand everybody's yeah. little bit different roles probably better than if you would have just been given the office chair, if you will, um, right from the beginning, yeah. right? And I think that that is, was a blessing for you. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think, you know, I would never change the script of my story as it reads today for a couple of different reasons. One, I really got to learn the organization and also understand the risk that the field employees are looking at every day. I mean, there's a complete difference between, you know, work is done as work is planned as work is done, right? And it's very easy to sit in the corporate office and write programs and processes without having the understanding of how it impacts the field workers or how that work is actually completed in the field. So it certainly helped me understand that side of the business really from a risk perspective. It also helps me relate really well to the field employees because I can speak their language, right? I've walked in their shoes. And you know, one of the things that I would say about my journey to where I'm at today is that if I was to give advice to somebody that was getting into the safety industry or trade and wanted to be a safety professional is that you've got to really learn to take some risks, mm-hmm. not safety risks, but risks with your career, right? Yep. And people are going to see things in you. And I think the best opportunities are going to come along when you're not looking. You know, the, the move that I made leaving an organization that I grew up in for almost 25 years was, it was scary, right? It, That's risky. It took some soul yeah. searching and conversations <laughs> with my wife, Kayla, to say, is this the right thing? And I tell you, it was the right decision for me because, you know, 
with change comes the ability and opportunity to really make influence, your influence greater, right? And for me, it's just in a new organization. I like that. That's a good quote, actually. Yeah. Never be afraid when opportunity knocks. Yeah. Well, I think all of us, it doesn't matter what career you're talking about. I think we all get a little bit comfortable sometimes. And what yeah. can happen is that we get a little bit comfortable. And I know that happened to me. And just trying new things. It is very scary, right? Well, well you yes. know, hey, yeah. we got families, we got that kind of stuff. But I think sometimes if you stick with it and you believe in what you're doing, you know, you know, Barbara and I, we believe in keeping families together. That's what our passion is. And that's why we started our company. And, and you have very yeah. similar things because you and I have very similar beliefs in, in just about all categories. But it's just so important that we understand that. I think that that taking those risks, again, not from the safety risk, like you said, but taking those risks in your career once in a while can be very beneficial. It's, it's okay to be uncomfortable. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's right. I mean, you gotta, you really gotta be comfortable being uncomfortable, and that's really the catalyst for change. And and I would agree with you, Ted. You and I are very similar, even outside of being Packer fans, right? I think that's yeah. why we always kind of gravitated to each other when we were working together in the past. And one of the things that really helped me make my decision to come to Blattner is just the story and the organization that they are. It's very, it's a family-owned business, right? You've been in organizations that were family-owned business. They yep. really care about people. They're a very people-centric organization. And I would tell you the reason I'm where I am today is their culture. And it, it fit me. It fit my personal ethics. It fit my leadership style. And it just, it really, really has worked out well. That doesn't always happen. So when something that like that comes along, it is worth worth the risk. It is not easy, but I kind no. of want to get into your. But the benefits are in front of you. Yeah. You know, just just in, in your whole life, right? right? I mean, the, the enjoyment yeah. of, of it. I, I'm very excited for you, Joe. And getting yeah, into that, that. You. your new venture with Blattner, can you talk about the capacity model a bit? Share that with our audience here. Yeah. So, you know, I think I would start it by saying that that I think the safety industry as a whole, the whole function is really moving away from traditional safety. And I think we could all agree that traditional safety is really based off of injury prevention, right? It's the measurement of lagging indicators. It's the reduction of TRIRs. It's looking at all incidents the same because an OSHA recordable injury is an OSHA recordable injury. And the capacity model that we're embarking on right now at Blattner is really born out of Quanta Company. So a little history with Blattner. Last year in 2001, we were acquired by Quanta Services. So we're part of the Quanta Services umbrella, which is a fantastic thing for us. Quanta is a great organization that owns a lot of operating units with a lot of diversity from telecommunications to TND type work. And then of course us, we're a large EPC contractor specializing in wind farms, solar farms, and battery storage. And one of the things they brought through was the capacity model. And the capacity model simply stated is really taking a look at safety a little bit differently, maybe non-traditionally. And there's been a big emphasis in industry right now in shifting away from leaking indicators. I certainly understand that. And maybe more of a an emphasis on SIF you know, serious injury and fatalities. And I think the capacity model moves us in that direction, but it, it looks at things just a little bit different than that. So it's really based off of three fundamentals, right? Prevention certainly is in there, which is traditional safety, but then adding the elements of learning and then building capacity for failure. So if you've listened to Todd Conklin at all, Todd Conklin talks a lot about capacity and it's really building systems that are resilient and also gives us the ability to put in guardrails or build capacity so that when our employees who are working in an inherently risky environment 
not if something happens, but when something happens, we have the capacity for them to fail safely and gently. And that's really kind of a big difference in kind of the way you approach and look at safety from a metric perspective, but then also your approach to the elimination of serious injuries and fatalities in our nomenclature at, at Blattner, we call them them sticky. So the things that kill you is the way we look at it. And it centers around things like the energy wheel for hazard recognition. It looks at critical risk management. It looks at the way that we analyze and communicate about incidents and then really kind of moving away from a traditional RCA process into something called operational learning, where it becomes a little non-conventional and more conversational. And really what we're trying to do within this whole model is one, change our culture, but then two, really start to view it from a different lens where we are trying to eliminate catastrophic injuries and life altering injuries by the building of capacity. Because I think if, if you look at safety and if you look at it from a non-traditional viewpoint, um, you would have to move away from the thinking that, you know, the absence of, of accidents is the presence of safety. I think traditionally that's what we always thought. That's what the Heinrich Triangle taught us. And if we weren't having accidents, things must have been great and everybody must have been safe. And this new model, when we look at safety, it's really quite the opposite. What we're saying is, is that the absence of accident is not the presence of safety, but yet safety is really the presence of controls building that capacity to fail safe. So it's, it's been a fun journey so far in my, my long nine weeks, right? I'm familiar with it because we did a similar evolution at XL Energy my last two years called Safety Always. And they're very similar kind of in the tenets of what we're trying to do. And we're just kind of getting going. So we are, we're about a year into the journey at uh, Blattner. And the, the journey itself, when we look at our integration guide, really looks out almost five years. So if you think about transformational cultural initiatives, this is one of them. I'm super excited about it. It's going great so far. It sounds very interesting. What I, what I like about that or the one, the one little thing I took away was the, the room for failure. You yeah. know, that doesn't have to be a negative. I, you know, as a mom, I sit here and I listen to how you fit it into safety and, and such. But as a mom, I do. I, I say, like, when you're raising those kids, we don't expect perfect kids. In fact, that wouldn't really be that great. What do you, what do you mean? Yeah, well, <laughs> and we've achieved that. Yeah, but, yeah you know. <laughs> we, we have achieved that. Not, not. But, you know, we always try to parent with that skill. Of, we're no, we know you're going to mess up, you know, hopefully not the big life-changing mistakes and same with safety, but to give them that room to fail and learn from it for next time. And I feel like sometimes safety back in the day, it is more of a policing and you were afraid to admit you messed up or whatever. So I just, you know, I took that from, from your conversation and I, I really see where that's a, a well, good way to go. I, I think the big thing is that sometimes people get so scared that they won't yeah. do the right thing. Right. And you're allowing them now to be okay with maybe making a failure into that process. How do you see the future of this? I think we're barking on something that is is truly going to be, I think, industry changing, right? I think that yeah. there's a lot of big organizations that are moving in this direction. Mm -hmm. And I would tell you, Barb, that, you know, you're right. If you think about it from a parent's perspective, too, it's easy to say that we don't expect our children to be perfect, but we kind of do, right? <laughs> I, I think that we would ideally like to see that, you know, and, and this really changes that model because it's the understanding that, you know, we are human beings, right. we're fallible creatures, we are going to make mistakes. And so what we try to do, and you think about it from the perspective of a parent, it was like, 
if you know that your child is going to make a mistake, you would want to protect your child to ensure when that mistake happens that they can make that mistake gently and safely opposed to right learning from an, an event that could have an impact on their life and yours. And that's really what this new view is all about. It's the understanding that people are going to make mistakes and that when they do, we have to have the capacity for them to fail safely. And I think a good example of that, uh, Ted like Conklin, that. Todd Conklin uses all the time, is he talks about the automotive industry and how they really, they got it right. Where they started thinking about the way that they're designing and building automobiles. And they moved away from saying, we're just going to create a safer driver, right? And instead of that, they said, we're going to make a safer vehicle. So that when the human element is involved in driving our vehicle, that's very complex and very risk laden, is that when a mistake happens, we have airbags and crumple zones and lane departure sensors and all these things put in place to help them fail safely when an event happens. And that's really kind of the whole fundamental idea. So back to your question, Ted, where I think this is going, I think this is going to really catch some steam. And I think that other organizations and industries are going to glom on. I think kind of in the, you know, the utility space specifically, I think EEI will really start looking at that. I think OSHA at some point is going to have to take a look at, you know, what they're measuring and how people measure success in the safety field. Because I will tell you right now, it, it is not a TRIR. It's not a DART rate. It's not an OSHA rate. You know, that's an incident or an accident statistic that happens reactively after something. And we really need to get on the front side of it to ensure the controls are in place so that we're getting the, the, the downstream results that we're looking for. So I think it's going to gain momentum. At least I certainly hope so. I think it's going to change the way we do it. And it's also going to change the way us as safety professionals approach our work. What are your thoughts on smaller companies? I know a lot of larger companies, you know, such as yours and that's company you used to work point. for and stuff like that definitely have the resources, definitely have that capability, right? But what about the smaller contractors or even general industry, right? Two that are yeah. out there. Do you see this filtering down to them and, and, and that? That's tricky. You know, yeah, I think that's a great question. And I think my initial reaction, right, would be it has to. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not sure how it's going to because there's some difficulties when you start looking at smaller organizations, right? You've seen it in your past when you're dealing with subcontractors. I certainly see that in my current role and former roles. And I think what it's going to take is for organizations like Blattner Mm -hmm. to help them along. So we use a lot of subcontractors and I think we need to position ourselves to help those subcontractors come along this journey with us. And really it's an easy change to make. It's difficult in the sense that an organization really has to be retrospective and really has to look at things differently and step outside of the box. Once you can change that right at a leadership level at the organization, then it things really start to fall in line. But it's a tough pill to swallow when you think about, you know, giving an example of having an incident where there was no significant injury, but maybe there were some process steps mixed, missed but we had the capacity and the controls and we call that a success now. And that's tough, right? And it's tough even as a safety professional to say all these things went wrong, but yet we had these controls in place that when they did go wrong, we failed safely to call that a success and recognize it as a success. Those are some of the nuances of looking at safety non-traditionally that really it, it takes a mindset shift. But once that mind shift is complete, things really kind of fall in place. You know, it kind of reminds me just, you know, I, I don't know how many meetings I've sat in with upper management for an incident. 
and you go through yeah. the process. Well, this is what we're going to do. We're going to get rid of the guards. Nobody's going to use these nine-inch grinders ever again. Yep. The reality is you still got to get the work done. You still yep. got to look at that. You know, because everybody's trying to do what they believe is right, you know, so there's no fault. Yeah. But I think that's kind of what this concept is basically is looking at. Hey, we are going to have some faults in here. How can we correct those situations before they become more on the severity level? Would that be kind of a fair way, Joe? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think exactly that. I think it's, it's you know, recognizing that we're human beings and that we're making decisions, in your example, based off a of context. So the decisions that we're making at the time we're making it and the environment the decision is made, it makes sense to that employee. So you have to change the script to build different contexts to change decision making, right? Yep. And a lot of the fundamentals through the capacity model and really I would just say non-traditional safety is really kind of telling individuals that they're human beings and it's okay that they're gonna make mistakes and that we're gonna put controls in here so that you can land softly. And that's a big change, right? Because we are flawed as human beings. We just look at you know simple hazard recognition Typically, when we go up to a job site, as a human being, we are only identifying about 45% of all the hazards identified. You know, they call it cognitive blindness. And you know about this, Ted, right? Yep. It's like 35% of hazards are missed because of those blind spots. And then there's another 20% that are missed because they weren't reasonably identifiable before the work starts. But we're putting in tools like the energy wheel, which is a visual indicator of energy sources to help with the JHA process that brings those to light and changes the script of the conversation to help increase the hazard recognition on the front end to ensure that we have controls in place so that when, not if something happens, we have capacity to fail safely. Oh yeah, and communication. Yeah, right. I think in general, you know, it sounds like you said a big change, but it's just, for lack of words, just refreshing. I think once, you know, people get used to that, I think, why wouldn't you want to try something like that? You know, I know easier said than done sometimes, but I, I think it's great. I think it is too, Barb. And I think the, the biggest thing that hold, that's holding us back is the fact that organizations like Blattner, you know, when we're working for clients, we're still measured by a lagging indicator. That is still the market yeah. of success yep. in, in every sector of business right now in construction. And until that changes, it's going to be more difficult for all companies because right. at the end, when it comes to brass tacks, they're still looking at OSHA recordable rates as a marker of success. Or, or even worse, the EMR. Yeah, right. But, but, but they are, they're out there and then they're still doing that. They are, they are. And you know what, it's, it, what's, it's what OSHA looks at, right? And it's what EEI looks at. And it's the benchmarking standard for construction. So when the CEOs of construction companies get together, that's their elevator speech. Yeah. And Very so true. somewhere along the way, collectively, we got to get together and change that script. and. You know, one of the things that we can do and one of the principles behind the capacity model, Barb, kind of back to your point about being a parent, because that resonated with me, is that the understanding that the response to failure matters, right? And it's like yes. when the organization fails, right, you have to be able to accept that. And if your response to failure is that your hair's on fire, we've all had that supervisor, that boss. Me too. All of a sudden... Yeah, back to Ted. It was like communication, communication, communication. It's like that communication is going to stop. The level of transparency in the organization is gone because you have a culture of blame. And, and studies will tell you that you really have two options as an organization. You can either choose to learn or you can, you can choose to blame. And they don't intersect. You cannot do both. You have to do one or the other. Very, very true, Joe, on that, because the positiveness of, of being able to grow that culture is so important. But if you go the other way, 
that's where danger really, really lurks, in my opinion. So, yeah. Hey, Joe, you know, as as me being the positive safety coach, I have some fun with you now on this part. This is one of my favorite parts because I'm ready to give you a couple of jokes, Barbara and I, here that we worked all night on. (laughs) Are you ready? Is the question. I am sitting down and I'm prepared and let's make sure they're good. Okay. The pressure. The pressure. Now now you're putting the pressure on us, but we have a fail safe here, so we're okay. Uh, Okay, the first one here. What's the best thing about Switzerland? The best thing about Switzerland? The chocolate. The chocolate, yeah. Well, I'm not really sure, but their flag is a big plus. Ta-da-da! Yay! Okay, so I have, to, I have to admit, I had our kids helping us with that, and it took me a minute to get that one. <laughs> so. Do you notice how positive my response to that yeah. failure was, Bart? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I like that, hey. We're, we're staying right. with the theme. I love it. I okay, love it. You try. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You being a golfer, why did yep. the golfer bring two pairs of pants? Why did the golfer bring two pairs of pants? Casey got a hole in one. Oh, Joe, you! I told you, Barbara, on the way up here, I told Barbara, I said Joe is a very intelligent person. He's <laughs> that hasn't happened too many times. <laughs> no, but you said you had one for us, so I do. So, because today's conversation is all about building context, right? So here's a little context. So my son Parker, who's a fiery little redhead, loves to tell jokes. He's got a huge personality. Seven years old. And he came up to me and he said, dad, do you know any dad jokes? And I'm like, I do. Of course I do. I'm a dad. So I told him my favorite, which is now his favorite. So if (laughs) you see him or ever get a chance to meet him, I guarantee he'll tell this joke. And it goes like this. Why shouldn't you gamble in the jungle? Why shouldn't you gamble? I'm really bad at jokes, so I don't know. Why shouldn't you gamble in the jungle? Tell us. Because it's full of cheetahs. (laughs) Ah. I have to say, that might be the one of the di- You might have beat us on that. Yes, <laughs> yes, you did. Hey, Joe, uh, thanks for I being on it. the podcast. If somebody wants to get a hold of you, how would they go about doing that? Because I think some of the information you have, believe it or not, is somewhat interesting. <laughs> right? Yeah, they can reach out to me directly by sending me an email at jconrad, C-O-N-R-A-D, at blattnercompany.com. Perfect. Well, sounds good. Thank you for being on our podcast. We really enjoy that, and I, I enjoy catching up with you and uh, have a super safe day. Yes, thanks, Joe. Yeah, thanks, everybody. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to TED Speaks with Ted Carew, owner of Total Health and Safety Solutions, providing health and safety support to businesses by customizing a safety process to fit their needs, big or small. Please connect at ted.carew at healthandsafetynow.com or visit our website, healthandsafetynow.com to share your safety stories or find out more about how we can work together to ensure your people go home safely and turn an expense into a profit center. Follow us and leave a review on your favorite podcast app. Have a super safe week.